Section thirty three of Rudder Grange. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rudder Grange by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter seventeen. In which we take a vacation and look for David Dutton. Part one. It was about noon of a very fair July day in the next summer when Euphemia and myself arrived at the little town where we were to take the stage up into the mountains. We were off for a two weeks' vacation, and our minds were a good deal easier than when we went away before and left Pomona at the helm. We had enlarged the boundaries of Rudder Grange, having purchased the house with enough adjoining land to make it quite a respectable farm. Of course, I could not attend to the manifold duties on such a place, and my wife seldom had a happier thought than when she proposed that we should invite Pomona and her husband to come and live with us. Pomona was delighted, and Jonas was quite willing to run our farm. So arrangements were made, and the young couple were established in apartments in our back building, and went to work as if taking care of us and our possessions was the ultimate object of their lives. Jonas was such a steady fellow that we feared no trouble from either tree man or lightning rodder during this absence. Our destination was a country tavern on the stage road, not far from the point where the road crosses the ridge of the mountain range, and about sixteen miles from the town. We had heard of this tavern from a friend of ours who had spent a summer there. The surrounding country was lovely, and the house was kept by a farmer who was a good soul and tried to make his guests happy. These were generally passing farmers and wagoners, or stage passengers, stopping for a meal, but occasionally a person from the cities, like our friend, came to spend a few weeks in the mountains. So hither we came, for an out of the world spot like this was just what we wanted. When I took our places at the stage office, I inquired for David Dutton, the farmer tavern keeper before mentioned, but the agent did not know of him. However, said he, the driver knows everybody on the road, and he'll set you down at the house. So off we started, having paid for our tickets on the basis that we were to ride about sixteen miles. We had seats on top, and the trip, although slow, for the road wound steadily uphill, was a delightful one. Our way lay for the greater part of the time through the woods, but now and then we came to a farm, and a turn in the road often gave us a lovely view of the foothills and the valley behind us. But the driver did not know where Dutton's tavern was. This we found out after we had started. Some persons might have thought it wiser to settle this matter before starting, but I am not at all sure that it would have been so. We were going to this tavern and did not wish to go anywhere else. If people did not know where it was, it would be well for us to go and look for it. We knew the road that it was on and the locality in which it was to be found. Still, it was somewhat strange that a stage driver, passing along the road every weekday, one day one way and the next day the other way, should not know a public house like Dutton's. If I remember rightly, I said, the stage used to stop there for passengers to take supper. Well, then, it ain't on this side of the ridge, said the driver. We stop for supper about a quarter of a mile on the other side at Pete Lowry's. Perhaps Dutton used to keep that place. Was it called the Ridge House? I did not remember the name of the house, but I knew very well that it was not on the other side of the ridge. Then, said the driver, I'm sure I don't know where it is. But I've only been on the road about a year, and your man may a moved away before I come. But there ain't no tavern this side of the ridge, atter you leave Delhi, and that's nowhere's nigh the ridge. There were a couple of farmers who were sitting by the driver, and who had listened with considerable interest to this conversation. Presently one of them turned around to me and said, Is it Dave Dutton you're asking about? 
"'Yes,' I replied, "'that's his name.' "'Well, I think he's dead,' said he. At this I began to feel uneasy, and I could see that my wife shared my trouble. Then the other farmers spoke up. "'I don't believe he's dead, Hiram,' said he to his companion. "'I heard of him this spring. He's got a sheep farm on the other side of the mountain, and he's a-livin' there. That's what I heard, at any rate. But he don't live on this road any more,' he continued, turning to us. He used to keep a tavern on this road, and the stages did used to stop for supper, or else dinner, I don't just recollect which. But he don't keep tavern on this road no more. Of course not, said his companion, if he's a-livin' over the mountain, but I believe he's dead. I asked the other farmer if he knew how long it had been since Dutton had left this part of the country. I don't know for certain, he said, but I know he was keepin' tavern here two year ago this fall, for I came along here myself and stopped there to get dinner or supper, I don't just recollect which. It had been three years since our friend had boarded at Dutton's house. There was no doubt that the man was not living at his old place now. My wife and I now agreed that it was very foolish in us to have come so far without making more particular inquiries. But we had had an idea that a man who had a place like Dutton's Tavern would live there always. "'What are you going to do?' asked the driver, very much interested, for it was not every day that he had passengers who had lost their destination. You might go on to Lowry's. He takes boarders sometimes. But Lowry's did not attract us. An ordinary country tavern, where stage passengers took supper, was not what we had come so far to find. "'Do you know where this house of Dutton's is?' said the driver, to the man who had once taken either dinner or supper there. "'Oh, yes, I'd know the house well enough if I saw it. It's the first house this side of Lowry's. With a big pole in front of it?' asked the driver. "'Yes, there was a sign-pole in front of it. And a long porch?' "'Yes.' "'Oh, well,' said the driver, settling himself in his seat. "'I know all about that house. That's a empty house. I didn't think you meant that house. There's nobody lives there. And yet, now I come to remember, I have seen people about, too. I tell you what you better do. Since you're so set on staying this side of the ridge, you better let me put you down at Dan Carson's place. That's just about a quarter of a mile from where Dutton used to live.' Dan's wife can tell you all about the Duttons, and about everybody else, too, in this part of the country. And if there ain't nobody livin' at the old tavern, you can stay all night at Carson's, and I'll stop and take you back to-morrow when I come along. We agreed to this plan, for there was nothing better to be done, and late in the afternoon we were set down with our small trunk, for we were travelling under light weight, at Dan Carson's door. The stage was rather behind time, and the driver whipped up and left us to settle our own affairs. He called back, however, that he would keep a good lookout for us to-morrow. Mrs. Carson soon made her appearance, and very naturally was somewhat surprised to see visitors with their baggage standing on her little porch. She was a plain, coarsely-dressed woman, with an apron full of chips and kindling wood, and a fine mind for detail, as we soon discovered. "'Just so,' said she, putting down the chips and inviting us to seats on a bench. "'Dave Dutton's folks has all moved away.' Dave has a good farm on the other side of the mountain, and it never did pay him to keep that tavern, especially as he didn't sell liquor. When he went away, his son Al come there to live with his wife, and the old man left a good deal of furniture and things for him, but Al's wife ain't satisfied here, and though they've been here off and on, the house is shut up most of the time. It's for sale and to rent, both, if anybody wants it. I'm sorry about you, too, for it was a nice tavern when Dave kept it. We admitted that we were very sorry, and the kind-hearted woman showed a great deal of sympathy. You might stay here, but we hain't got no fit room where you two could sleep. At this Euphemia and I looked very blank. 
"'But you could go up to the house and stay just as well as not,' Mrs. Carson continued. "'There's plenty of things there, and I keep the key. For the matter of that, you might take the house for as long as you want to stay. David be glad enough to rent it, and if the lady knows how to keep house, it wouldn't be no trouble at all, just for you two. We could let you have all the victuals you'd want cheap, and there's plenty of wood there, cut, and everything handy.' End of section 33